Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Monday, September 25th edition of the Basement Academy. As we get going on another week together, I'll share a few more of my favorite psalms. I think I'll take this through the end of this week, maybe into next, but I think it might just wrap it up this week. Uh, and so hopefully you are finding these uh, reflections helpful, and uh, it's always fun for me to talk about my good friends. And uh, the good friend I want to talk about today is Psalm 85. Psalm 85. This is for the director of music. It is of the sons of Korah. And, and notice um, there, there's a feature of Hebrew poetry. Our poetry, English poetry, typically rhymes sounds. And so we will, you know, every other line or third line might rhyme uh, a sound. Hebrew poetry rhymes ideas. Either it's reinforcing the idea or it's contrasting the idea. And so listen for that, in, uh, uh, particularly in these opening verses. Psalm 85. You showed favor to your land, O Lord. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turn from your fierce anger. Restore us again, O God, our Savior, and put away your displeasure towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God the Lord will say. He promises peace to his people, his saints, but let them not return to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. Hmm. Boy, I love Psalm 85, particularly those last, last couple of verses. So, so um, I don't know if you... You heard the, the, the repetition, the, the poetic repetition. You showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. So favor and restored is the repetition of idea. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. So the forgiving and covering the sins. You set aside all your wrath and turn from your fierce anger. So setting aside wrath turning from fierce anger. So it's a, it's a way of emphasizing or, or, or getting clarity. I want to talk for just a moment about this notion of God setting aside his wrath. There are, there are some, if not many, who are very uncomfortable with the notion of God having wrath. That seems so ungodly. <laughs> you know, humans have anger, and when we express our anger, often we do so inappropriately. 
and we're destructive with that. We feel ashamed about it the way in our outburst. I, I know this is true, certainly of myself and certainly of men. I, I, I know women also have anger. They maybe express it differently, but sometimes guys are really explosive with their anger. And so we tend to project that out onto God and you know, thinking of God's wrath, that God's somehow out of control, rage, you know, steam blowing out his ears and his, you know, his head falling off. I don't think this is the best image. <clears throat> the reality of human sin, this, this psalm confronts us with the reality of Israel's sin, but by extension, uh, human sin. The reality of, of sin is one that we tend to kind of, meh, you know, it's not such a big deal to us because we're the sinners, right? Um, but to God, it constitutes a deep and outright rejection of his loving purposes for us. Now, there are many words in the Bible for sin and they, they catch different nuances. And so there's the notion of rebellion. So, so you've got people who were rebelling against a king. So there's treachery treason, mutiny, you know, um, loyal subjects who rise up against uh, the throne or against the, 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 the king or the, the government. So it's a crime against the state. And of course, treason is the, the greatest crime in our, uh, in our nation, right? When you have a crime against the state, when you seek to subvert the state, this is what sin does. It subverts the good order of God's kingdom, stretching back to the, to the garden. Then there's the notion of trespass, right? You know, forgive us our trespasses. Uh, one version of the Lord's Prayer uh, reads. And so the trespass is a violating of a boundary. A boundary has been established. Keep out. And the trespass is someone climbing over the fence. <laughs> and so taking the forbidden fruit was a trespass, going where you were not supposed to go. Uh, taking then the theft that, that, that accompanied that. Um, there is the notion of being indebted, right? So, so you, you, have, you have indebted yourself to somebody by your actions, okay? And so forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's another version of the Lord's Prayer. There's an idea of a target. I'm thinking like an archery target or something like that, you know, and you're, you're, you're shooting the gun or you're shooting the arrow. And the, this is the goal or the purpose of human life. We are to love God. We are to love our neighbor. We're to behave in a certain way. That's the target that God has for us. And sin is missing that target and like intentionally shooting in a different direction, right? So it's a missing of the mark. So there's a variety of, of, of concepts or ideas or images for sin that we have in our scripture. And so the accompanying response from God to rebellion, to treason, to treachery, to a missing of the mark, what he intends for our lives, the trespasses, etc., is ranging from displeasure, that's some of the language here, you put away your displeasure to us, to turning aside your wrath. So displeasure, disappointment, anger, wrath, uh, and the like. Parents know all about this, don't they? Particularly parents of young ones, you know, from maybe three, four, five years old on up through maybe, you know, adolescence and early adulthood, you know, some of the battle of wills that goes on with our children, but particularly when they're young, pick up your room and the child defies and does not pick up the room. Stop hitting your sister 
And then when mom looks away, you can hear, you know, the, the sister being hit again. And so there's something in the human family, it's sin, that wants to defy authority, defy uh, good order and instruction. So parents know all about this, uh, the, the, the rejection of their loving care and instruction. Coaches, teachers, uh, bosses, supervisors, I mean, anyone who has a position of responsibility for people knows that people do not always live up to what we uh, ask of them. And so <clears throat> this failure to live up to the standard, to the goal, to the instruction diminishes the community and it diminishes the individual and it, and it sets things off, right? And so this is what the Bible's talking about with sin. It's not about eating too much chocolate cake and saying a few swear words once in a while. It's this deep tendency within us to go our own way rather than follow the way of another. I assert my own will rather than obey and honor the will and, and purpose of God. And so in Romans chapter 3, uh, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24 goes on, And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. And I've got a footnote where it says sacrifice of atonement, and I go look at that footnote. And the alternative reading, God presented Jesus Christ as the one who would turn aside God's wrath. Ah, there's that phrase from Psalm 85. Turning aside, you turned aside all your wrath. And so <clears throat> the, the, the death of Jesus Christ was an atoning sacrifice. It accomplished something. It turned aside the wrath of God. We speak of Jesus dying as a substitute. It's a substitutionary atonement. This is what the foreshadowing of the Old Testament sacrifices is. On the Day of Atonement, um, the bull, the lamb would be offered, the blood of an animal would be offered as a substitute. It, it, this tells us how serious God takes our mutiny, our rebellion, our treachery, our treason, right? We're, we're kind of like, eh, you know, hey, I'm only human. I'm, I'm not perfect. God says, I created you to live differently than you are. And so the, the animal sacrifices are the substitutes. Blood is the atoning mechanism or means. And so the life is in the blood. So Jesus sheds his blood as the sacrificial lamb or the Passover lamb, as it were. And so, and so what we have in the death of Jesus Christ is one who turns aside the wrath of God. The technical term is the hilasterion, okay? The one who turns aside. It's the, it's the place of redemption. It's, sometimes we re refer to this as propitiation. Some of you may have heard that kind of highfalutin theological term. Jesus propitiated God's wrath. He turned aside the wrath of God. So God pours out his wrath, his displeasure upon his own son. He is the substitute so that we might be forgiven. So his wrath is satisfied, but it is not satisfied at our expense. It's the expense of his own son. Then we place our trust 
in that atoning sacrifice and then receive the merits of that, the, the, the forgiveness of that. So anyway, a little dive into theology that the psalm gives us. So this psalm that, that talks about turning aside of the wrath, if we know our Bibles well and know our New Testaments, we can thank God for Jesus Christ who turned aside all the wrath of God. And then he goes on and, and a set of questions. Will you be angry with us forever? No. Will you prolong your anger through all generations? No. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Yes. Now, from the vantage point of the psalmist who does not yet know Jesus Christ, does not know the Son of God, the suffering servant, these are real questions. But we as Christians can say, God does. Uh, he is not angry forever. He does not prolong his anger through all generations. He does revive us. And so this language of revival is so important because it's a word. We hear revival and we think of the revival tradition within the church. And it's kind of like spiritual renewal, kind of an emotional pick-me-up. Boy, I feel revived. You know, I had a good sleep, I had a good meal, I feel revived. But to revive is to bring back from the dead. Re means again, vive is to live, to live again. And so this points us forward again theologically to like Ephesians chapter 2. When we were dead in our sins and transgressions, God made us alive with Christ and raised us up with him. That is, we were dead in our sins. We think, oh, well, you know, sin's not that big a deal. Yes, it is. It renders us spiritually dead. And God, through his Holy Spirit, through the gospel, raises us up. We become spiritual life. He truly revives us. He gives us vive again. He gives us life again. And so we are alive with Christ. So his resurrection, so his death and resurrection, we die in our baptism. We're buried with him, and then we rise again in newness of life. So will you revive us again? Will you not revive us again? Yes. Thanks be to God for the, for the life we have through uh, Jesus Christ. And then the psalmist goes on and says, I will listen. This is verse eight. I will listen to what God the Lord will say. He promises peace to his people, his saints, but let them not return to folly. This psalm is an me extended meditation on the reality of sin. It takes us back to the garden. God desires us to hear him, to listen. I will listen to what God the Lord will say. And, and to listen, not just, oh yeah, okay, I heard that. Thanks. I'm going to go off and do my own thing. I listen and obey. And so Adam and Eve did not listen, right? God gave clear instruction, do not eat. They did not listen. That is, they did not honor and did not follow uh, God's instruction. Um, Moses did not listen. Moses, speak to that rock and water will come out. And Moses got all mad and he slammed the rock twice. He didn't listen. He was supposed to speak to that rock. He slammed it twice with his staff. God said, mm, don't like that little display of anger there, Moses. Little, little, you know. And so, and so Moses did not listen. Israel repeatedly did not listen. They could have gone up and taken the land, but they did not listen. God said, go do it. There were two, um, two spies who said, we can go do it. The other 10, so the people listened to the unfaithful spies, right? Um, Lot's wife did not listen 
don't, don't even look back at Sodom and Gomorrah as it's burning. And she looked back and turned to a pillar of salt, right? Um, psalm 95, that great psalm that, that, that we love so much. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Towards the end of that psalm, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. God's people hardened their hearts again and again. They stop their, we stop our ears. And so um, when, when uh, God speaks through Moses uh, to, to um, before they go into the land in Deuteronomy chapter six, hear, O Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And, 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 and then you shall love your neighbors yourself, we read in Leviticus chapter 19. Hear, O Israel. Jesus comes and tells parables. He says, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. James writes, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Jesus gave a commission to his apostles, go baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded. So listen to the instruction of Jesus and then set your heart to obey it. I will listen to what God the Lord will say. He promises peace to his people. There is no promise of peace apart from a listening to God and following his ways. Now, I'm not saying if we're disobedient, we're going to miss heaven. We're all disobedient. Thanks be to God. We should listen to the voice of God. Trust my son. Believe my son. As we lean on Jesus Christ, as we embrace him as Lord and Savior, his atoning sacrifice becomes real for us and we live into this new life. And so I will listen to what God the Lord will say. And so this psalm invites us back to a, a, a simple trusting obedience. Mary and Martha, Mary uh, sitting at the feet of Jesus, Martha distracted in the kitchen. Mary has chosen the better part. Sitting at the feet of the master, becoming his disciple. It more, more than just sitting there in the house at his feet. To sit at the feet of someone was to become a disciple. Mary enrolled herself into the school of discipleship. I want to listen to what he's saying and I want to apply it. I want to live it in my life. If you obey me, Jesus says in John's gospel, you will do what I say. <laughs> and so this theme that runs throughout the scripture, literally from Genesis through Revelation, of listening to the Lord and so this psalm bids us back to a reality. So how are you listening to the Lord? What are you doing with your Bible studies? I assume many of you, if not all of you, in some kind of Bible study, you're doing this Bible study of nothing. What do you do with the Sunday sermon? Do you take notes? Do you, do you call it to mind Sunday night, Monday morning? Are you still thinking about it? Are you trying to to say, hey, Don, Eric, they preach this. I'm going to make sure uh, they're, they're really you know, spot on. I'm going to go search those scriptures and see if the things they said are really true, like the noble Bereans we read about in the book of Acts. And so it's very important that if we're going to hear the word of God, that we not harden our hearts, that we try to apply that uh, into our lives. So I will listen to what God the Lord will say. It's a psalm that invites us to contemplate, how am I listening 
uh, to God. And then finally, I just, I love the, the last few verses of this psalm, very poetic. I believe we talked about memorizing scripture uh, last week. Uh, scriptures intended, certain scriptures in particular, that Psalm 111, intended to be memorized. I think this is one of those passages. Love and faithfulness meet together. What a picture. Love and faithfulness, these two virtues. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. There's this embrace. So do you hear the, do you hear the repetition, the Hebrew poetry, the reinforcing of the idea? Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Oh, what a picture. That these virtues work together. They're friends, they're companions. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth. Lord, may faithfulness spring forth from our lives. Righteousness looks down from heaven. We receive a righteousness from God. We don't earn the righteousness. We receive the righteousness. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth. Righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good. And our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. And so there's something about that this renewal, this revival, this, this restoration that this psalm speaks of in such poetic, wonderful ways. It's confronting us with the reality of our sin, embracing the one who turns aside the wrath of God, Jesus. It's listening to the voice of the master, listening to the voice of scripture, listening to the voice of Jesus, and then living into this new life of love and faithfulness, righteousness and peace faithfulness springing forth out of our lives. And it's the picture of the harvest, right? The harvest of our lives. The Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest, but may our lives yield the harvest. And that's the parable of the sower. It's the parable of the vine and the branches. This image of, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If, if, if you abide in me, my word abides in you, you will bear much fruit. And so, this psalm points, oh, so wonderfully forward to the New Testament uh, and, and the fulfillment that we find in Jesus in so many wonderful ways. So anyway, I could go on and on, but I'll stop here. My friends, these are some of the reasons why Psalm 85 is one of my favorite psalms, and I pray it'll become one of your favorite psalms as well. Let's pray. And so be pleased, O oh Lord to cause love and faithfulness, righteousness and peace to spring forth from our lives as we listen to your word, as we embrace the Savior, as we turn from our sin and turn to a, a life of obedience and renewal through the power of your Spirit. Do this, we pray, uh, this day in our lives and in these days to come as we pray in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, may God cause his face to shine upon you, a face that is lifted, not in displeasure, <laughs> but is smiling through Jesus Christ. And so may you know his blessing, his comfort, his hope, his life this day and forevermore. Amen.